This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. In this current COVID reality, we're focusing on all the ways that we can stay flexible, adaptable, and agile so that we can impact our rapidly changing world for the sake of the gospel. We're all in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us. Hey, welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. Jimmy Scroggins here, high atop the Family Church Studios in the Family Church Complex in downtown West Palm Beach, overlooking the Intercoastal Waterway. It's one of the most exclusive zip codes in the United States. And I think you're there's here water with us. out there somewhere. That's right. Hey, guys, don't knock it. I'm just trying to <laughs> We live the high up. life here. It's totally fine. Anyways, thanks for joining us today as we continue to unpack our Family Church leadership principles. Today, joining me in the studio, as always, Leslie Bennett, also... Todd Thomas, pastor at Family Church Sherbrooke. Seth Carter, who is our creative pastor over all of our creative arts and endeavors. And engineer Justin Barahona, not on the microphone, but yet here anyway. So we're going to talk about the kind of people we want to be as we love, serve, and shepherd people in our church and any other place where we have influence. And today is a big one in terms of our leadership principles. It's one of my favorites. We're talking about being innovators. And Leslie, how do we define this principle, be an innovator? Well, what we decided to say is that we want to be courageous about creating and embracing change, keeping the future in view. That's right. And we've chosen Mark chapter 2, verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But New wine is for fresh wineskins. And so we know that in an organization, whether it's a church, a business, or some other kind of Christian-based environment, we're going to have to innovate. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to try new things in order to get to a better future. Because we like to say that a failure to innovate is a commitment to die. So I wonder, Todd, how does this idea of being an innovator and what we do in the culture of family church, what, what does that mean to you? Because when we were putting these principles together, there was one person on our team who was a true champion of innovation, and it was you. It sure was. And the reason why this, this comes to mind... because you're Indian? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. But when I think about this one, there are so many like non-negotiables to what we do in church life. We're going to teach the Bible. We're going to lead people in worship. We're going we're gonna to do all kinds of things to facilitate growth. But... In reality, like culture is changing so fast around us, the way people gather, the advent of social me- media and all of that stuff just requires us to think really, really quickly, not about those non-negotiables, the essentials of what we do week in and week out, but how we do them and how we serve people and minister to people. And the the thing that we've just, we've come to realize is that a failure to innovate is a commitment to die, that we are not going to be able to keep moving forward the way we want to as a church and to reach the people we want to reach if we're not willing to to be innovators. Yeah. And Seth, kind of your job is to oversee a whole team that is supposed to be creative and yeah. creativity and innovation are tightly tied together. So mm-hmm. I wonder how this even affects you because this is kind of your thing. Absolutely. I mean, our team is filled with folks that would be self-labeled as innovators, but also like we're, we're recruiting them because they're innovators, right? And uh, really one of the biggest things that we do when we're 
bringing them into family church. Kind of like Todd just said, you know, we're not innovating for innovation's sake. We actually have some things that we want to stay true to that are the old ways, right? You know, we we, we have hills that we're going to die. Still going to the old paths, exactly. And but there are there are certain ways that are just kind of things we've always done things like this, but they aren't actually prescribed by Scripture. And we're trying to find some ways that we can still be engaging with the old truths, like with the things that are found at the core of Scripture and what the Bible teaches. And so it might be we might gather in a slightly different way, or we might, you know, do home groups one week, or we might do, you know, Sunday morning curriculum, and it, it changes how we approach. And so in the creative world and how we do everything in, in the digital spaces or even live on Sunday morning, we've been trying to think like that, stay true to the core of Scripture. But then, you know, some things might be, we might try to film some extra things, or we might try to, you know, write a song for a certain, you know, thing that we might not have written approached a songwriting or something like that. So yeah, you might have to figure out how to have church when you can't physically meet in person. Like, I don't know, that might happen. That was my at first some, month on the at job. At some point, yeah. you have to just like... <laughs> That'll never happen. Yeah, that'll never happen, but that did happen. And exactly. we had to innovate and we had to figure out some things and we had to change or we were going to die. Right. So, oh, that, right. I mean, that was forced upon us, but it's having that spirit of innovation that sometimes is, is forced upon you, but just trying to keep that spirit alive, mm-hmm. even when it's not forced upon us, which I think is a challenge sometimes because it's super easy just to figure out how to do something and then get in your rut or make your put your system in place and then just keep the train moving on time right that's it's that that's where we're comfortable so i think it's a challenge sometimes to take on that innovative spirit well, not only that, but in a church, it's even maybe more challenging because people often come to church because church is one of the things in their lives that's not changing. So they look around the, they look around the world that they live in and everything seems to be changing. Technology's changing. Uh, the laws are changing. Yeah. Cultural norms are changing. Even the demographic uh, makeup of our neighborhood or our community is changing. And so they say, but at my church, thank God I can go to church and it's yeah. relatively the same. And one of the things that kind of upsets church members from time to time is like, wow, I go out there and change is just hitting me in the face all day long. And then I come to church and now you guys want to change at my church too. And so the one place they don't want the cheese to be moved is at church. And so people can really dig in. And yet we know as leaders and we know from studying the literature and we know from studying the word of God that if you're not willing to change, you are committed to certain death. And so that's a big idea is helping Christians and church people overcome this resistance and this fear of change. And I think most of the time, now, when, like you said, Seth, when we're talking about doctrinal or theological change, yeah. we got to be really careful with that because that should rarely change at all, if exactly. ever, right? Exactly. But I find that most of the changes that church people fight are not doctrinal changes. Right. Both of them are cultural changes yes. that then get painted with a doctrinal brush, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that if that makes uh, sense to you. It does. And one of the questions that I appreciated, you asked us, at the very beginning of lockdown was, guys, there are things we've been doing a long time in certain ways, maybe things that you've not wanted to keep doing. If you had a blank slate, like obviously we're going to preach the Bible, we're going to do what we do. But if you had a blank slate for what's happening at our church, what would you put on that paper? What would you change from what you have right now? What would you start doing? What would you stop doing? And it really gave us the freedom to innovate and to maybe make some adjustments, try some new things, you know, stop some old things. And that was, I think it was a really valuable question. I think every organization 
should ask that question. Like, how would you operate to best reach your community, to best minister to your people? If you could start over with a blank slate, what would you do? It's a great question to ask. Yeah, I think it's extremely helpful. And one of the things that you have to do as a leader is to think about the future. Where are we going? Mm -hmm. And one of the things, a leader has to see the future before other people see it. Mm -hmm. And a leader has to envision a path to the future before other people can envision it. That's why you're a leader. If everyone was going to find their way without you, they wouldn't need a leader. They would just do it. But leaders have to see the future first, and it's just part of our job. And so we need to be using the available tools around us. So what are some yeah. tools that we try to use at Family Church to see the future? Well, there's a lot of tools that we use. I mean, one of them, uh, you know, really is to start off with is I like calling it a tool. It's our meeting culture, right? Mm. So the way that we gather, the way that we sharpen each other, we gather together with, you know, the leadership of our church. And then we actually then meet with smaller groups of people and we continue to pass on the ways in which like, I mean, honestly, Jimmy, how you're leading us as a, an entire organization here at Family Church. And it allows us kind of how you're seeing the, the future. And we also continue to kind of lead out the way that you're leading us, right? Then we then take that into kind of these systems and processes of of how we, you know, for example, maybe how in the creative world, the teams that I lead, it might be how we choose to shoot a sermon on Sunday mornings, right? And so there's a specific prescribed way that we're doing that, but then kind of looking ahead to where we're going as a church, seeing that in the future, and then maybe stopping a good thing to then grab hold of a great thing, you know, in, in, in the future. And then going, look, we're going to be way better off and way more flexible if we kind of put this to bed now, put this to rest, even though we love working on in this specific way. And so, I mean, that's even how we've kind of innovated on how we even work in our online formats. We've kind of shifted and we're continuing to shift how we even display our online content, you know, where it was previously um, just kind of a live stream only. And now we're even recording kind of music videos and things like that to engage and allow our church to kind of have a digital front door, like, like we call it. I think that's really powerful. One of the things that I love talking about innovation, which relates to what you were saying, Seth, is there's a there's a guy named uh, Vijay Govindarajan, and uh, you can look him up on YouTube, or he has books on innovation. I have a bunch of his books, but he writes at a very high level on the concept of innovation for mm -hmm. corporations. But he basically breaks down innovation into three, he calls it the three boxes, and every organization has to operate in three boxes. Box number one, he says, is what's called the performance engine. It's what you are doing now. It is why you exist. So if you're a factory, it's the widgets that that factory makes. If you're a church, it's probably your weekend uh, worship services and Sunday school classes or whatever. But there's some performance engine. This is why you are able to exist week to week as an organization. Box two, he calls selectively abandoning the past, mm -hmm. which is exactly what you were saying is that every organization has to be choosing things that are part of their culture, part of their organizational structure, part right. of their schedule, part of their budgeting process, and sort of be heaving those overboard. Yeah. Like you have to be discarding because you only have so much energy, so many resources, so much focus. Yeah. And and uh, if you're going to add new things to get you to the future, you've got to discard old things in order to give the new right. things their due. And then the third box is called research and development. And he says, this is a component of your organization where you are trying new things, experimenting with new things that might be a part of the future that is to come. The problem with R&D is if you're going to do R&D, you have to have a willingness to fail at everything that you try. If you're doing something and it cannot fail, 
So from time to time, I'll tell you guys, hey, we're going to do this and this cannot fail. Well, that's not R&D. That's performance engine. Mm -hmm. It's part of why we exist. R&D has to have the ability to fail in order for it to be researched. And what's going to happen, like Thomas Edison working with the 900 or whatever filaments until he found the right one, that's what you do a lot of in R&D. Then when you find something that does work and you prototype it and you're like, okay, this is a thing, then you're going to move this into your performance engine. Mm -hmm. But in order to do it, you're going to have to selectively abandon the past in order to move to this new future. I love the way uh, Dr. Govinda Rajan talks about this, and I commend him to our listeners because he's probably helped me more than anybody else in thinking about a process for innovation in our church. That really leads us to the next thing. So kind of, I mean, using all available tools, which, you know, is in our church world or whatever world you're in, um, would be the next one is taking a learner's posture and then getting aggressive about discovering other peoples and other organizations that are maybe outside your tribe, right. as we would say, or outside your normal circles. So that's an excellent example of a way that you can do that. I don't know if um, Todd or Seth have any others. Well, we, Seth and I both have been fairly aggressive about seeking ideas out and talking to friends in ministry. Uh, both of us have uh, some connections in our family that are outside of a, a little bit outside of what we do at Family Church. My father-in-law works for the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We have had lots of discussions about what mm -hmm. what's going on in the denomination, whether it's about the regathering that took place finally after 26 Sundays of not meeting or if it was about how they're relaunching their groups and the challenges that every church in the country is feeling right now with small groups and how to get people reengaged to some of the creative expressions about just what we're doing on YouTube and social media and all of that. And, and I know Seth's had some great discussions, even with some of our, our cohorts in town and, and other people. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's constantly just wanting to be a having a steady diet of what's outside the walls of your current church, church, right? And so in the church world, I mean, I love watching other people's church services. Number one, because I just love, you know, the fact that I'm reminded that even though we wake up on Sunday mornings and we go to our local bodies, I love the fact that via the magic of technology, I can also see what my brothers and sisters in Christ are doing across the, you know, across mm -hmm. the country and even the world. But also every single time that happens and I go outside the walls of my own kind of personal sphere, I try to challenge myself to do things even outside of my local tribe, right? I always find about six to seven different things that like, man, I never would have thought to do it like that, right? And there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't, even though I wouldn't have done that in, or, or thought of that originally, I still wouldn't do it, you know, even if now that it's I'm aware of it. But at the same time, like th there's a lot of things that challenge my thinking that I can actually take back to my teams and kind of go, hey guys, have we ever taken a look at how this person set up this song, right? It, it was done in such a pastoral way and it was done in such a non-pretentious way. And, you know, that, like that's a, that's a really cool way for us to maybe approach a creative moment or something like that. And so, like, those types of things and, and approaching it, like you said, Leslie, with a learner's posture and just going, look, I'm taking notes here. I'm, I'm wanting to be taught. I'm wanting to learn from, from any and everybody around me. I love the folks in my life who kind of teach me that there's not a single person that they know that they can't learn something from. Right. And so that's like one of the first steps of being an innovator is like, that's the open door into your heart to actually start to change. Yeah. And also, you know, we, we take the Bible as our authority. So we're going to try to do what the Bible says. Right. But the Bible is not our only source of knowledge because mm -hmm. we believe that all truth is indeed God's truth. And so we can learn from a variety of people, even people that we disagree with. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, if, if you have a church or a Christian organization, I'd encourage you to be 
talking to business people in your church. So for instance, we're a multi-site church. So one of the people I like to learn from owns a franchising company. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not exactly a one-to-one comparison, but we've learned a lot from franchising companies or people who live in the corporate world. They've learned some best practices for how to run efficient and effective meetings or how to motivate employees. So there's all kinds of things that we can learn from people. You know, we have, we have Chick-fil-A owner operators in our church. I'm sure everyone listening has that. If you're in a town big enough to have a Chick-fil-A, and uh, those people know a lot about hospitality. They, they really do how to treat people, how to talk to people. And so there's just things that we can learn from all kinds of sources. And I'd encourage if you want to innovate, get outside of your own church, get outside of your own church tribe, and then get outside of church, the church space and see what else you can learn out there in the big uh, wide world. Absolutely. And one of the things I would even say to that, too, is like there's a big difference between being influenced by a wide variety of sources and then just straight up plagiarizing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so being able to pull and selectively pull, that's a talent that and a muscle that kind of needs to be worked out. And I I mean, I look back to kind of even how I would approach things even three, four or five years ago. And I'm growing in my ability to actually go, okay, I don't want to just become that person or Mm -hmm. I don't want to just become that church. We can actually maintain a sense of what God's trying to do right here, mm-hmm. but learn from the lessons of others. And that's something that definitely needs to be continually checked. That's you know, a really good you, point. Yeah. As you go. All right. So another practice we would talk about if you're going to be an innovator is that you have to take risks. I feel like that happens every week around here. <laughs> we, are, we are getting better and better at it. Well, the church hired all of us. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that was, yeah, that was a pretty big risk. Some of the, some of my favorites that have happened, not all these succeed, right? So but right. we do the best we can, but some of my favorites that have happened did require some upending of normalcy around here. A great example of that is how we did our online Christmas program. So we decided we have a lot of people that still weren't coming back in person and we wanted to to do something to bring Christmas, an excellent Christmas experience to their homes, which required messing up a lot of space in our church to be able to film something that was of high quality, that would not only hit all the fields, but point people in a really special way to Christ. And it took it took a lot of work. It took messing up uh, an entire area of our church to do that. It took a lot of volunteers. But what ended up coming out of that was thousands and thousands and thousands of people watching something with their families telling non-Christians about the gospel because of the the experience that we were able to put together. And to me, like that was well worth the risk. That's good. Absolutely. I mean, when we risk things, I mean, also it's even just the people that you choose to bring with you on the journey, right? You know, I, I think back to the, even this past summer, you know, we had an influx of over like 60 interns, mm-hmm. you know, and all of them were incredibly talented. But a lot of times, you know, as a leader, sometimes you get that like butterflies in your stomach when you're like, all right, they're walking up on stage. I hope this is all right, you know, but then like the thing that I always try to remember is like someone did that for me and I, before I was even close to ready, right? And I got to fail spectacularly over and over and over again while people coached me up and continually allowed me to learn from my mistakes and then applying that to how we lead others. You know, those those are even big risks in and of themselves, you know. Pastor Jimmy and I have a shared mentor who said this phrase and kind of beat it into our minds, great, great leaders ruthlessly debrief themselves. Hmm. And when you take risks, like you have to evaluate whether they were successful or not and like decide if you're going to do it again or not. And if you can tweak it or throw it away, but great, great leaders ruthlessly debrief themselves. And I think it's just a a wise thing to do in in any of your ministry areas. If you're going to try something new, 
have meetings after, ask those hard questions. Was this worth it? Are we willing to try this again a different way? And I think we've we've had a lot of growth and success and from doing that. And there's such a good way of doing that, right? Of like giving them giving everybody on your team and yourself the freedom to fail. I I feel that so much from Pastor Jimmy and the way that he pushes me to innovate and my teams to innovate. I'm not really worried if it, you know, on the things that we're supposed to be in the R&D, you know, part of the triangle on. I'm not really worried if we find out that that's a way that it didn't work because that's great. Let's put it back on the on the shelf and let's move on. We've learned something new. It wasn't a waste of time because we we grew. We 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 added knowledge to our plate. And so, I mean, being able to pass that on to your teams too. So even when you ruthlessly debrief, it's kind of going, hey guys, great. We learned something. Hey, we figured out another way that it doesn't another work. Another way right. not to do it next time. <laughs> well, that's right. And we've had tons. Of, so this freedom to fail is such an important yeah. concept because we have tons of things that we've tried that haven't worked at all. Yeah. You know, we've started campuses that didn't work. We've yeah. hired employees that didn't work and the yeah. position wasn't necessary or didn't work out for us. We've done all kinds of things. And uh, if you don't give yourself permission to try something, and and I think one of the biggest one of the biggest mistakes that churches make is churches and pastors believe everything they do has to work, hmm. and and part of the reason that that happens is they use too much God language around their new tries. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, God told us to do this, and the That's Holy Spirit. Now, look, I do believe you should hear from God, and I hope the Holy Spirit is working. But I think you might want to be a little less definitive about what God's saying, this and that, and before you do it, because I don't think there's anything wrong with a pastor or a church just going, we think this is a really good idea, and we've prayed about it, and we think it's going to work. And then when it doesn't work, because if you say God told you to do it, and then it doesn't work, well, I guess it's his fault. And that doesn't make sense at all. So I just think that we should be thinking uh, constructively, giving ourselves freedom to fail, taking the risks, all of those things. We talked about, you know, the the selectively abandoning the past. We say, so when we say, hey, we're going to start something new, it's going to require focus, energy, resources. Okay, but what are we going to take off of our plate if we're going to add this to our plate? All right, you can't just endlessly add things to your plate. And the other thing is, if you're going to innovate, the reason I like Vindarajan's three boxes is you can't stop the performance engine while you're trying something new, right? So like weekend worship services and Sunday school, like that's our thing. That's what we do. So it would if you if even if we thought you know what the future is house churches, okay. Well, we're gonna have to keep the performance engine going while we might experiment with some house churches until we decide okay this is so successful and so important. Now we're gonna shut down the weekend gathering for house churches. But man, that's far in the future. So mm-hmm. be careful not to deconstruct your performance engine while you're doing R&D on unproven concepts. That's and I great. see so many churches unrolling things and rolling out things and saying, oh, we're going to release this. We're going to do that. And they really haven't thought through what happens if this doesn't work out. And I just think all of us should be uh, looking at that. That's really good. I mean, one of the things that we perhaps want to hit on is allowing for constructive disruption that ultimately makes things better. And I think Seth, I mean, you kind of said that just a minute ago, because sometimes when you try things, you know, it might seem a little disruptive or it might not work out that new person on the platform or some new um, piece of technology that you've implemented. It might be a little bit of a disruption, but ultimately it's going to make things better. So yeah, there's a lot of discernment, I think, that goes into Mm -hmm. the process, Pastor Jimmy, Mm -hmm. of innovation. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think people kind of get uncomfortable with it because, you know, you have to discern, is this a constructive disruption or did it just, was it a failure? <laughs> is this something that we do want to keep moving forward on? Is it something that we want to abandon? Mm-hmm. And all of those decisions are risky because mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't comfortable with 
being in that space of the unknown. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's one of the things I just encourage churches to do too. Like churches come up with a new idea or they see someone else with a good idea and they try to roll it out big before they've prototyped it. So we're a big fan of prototyping. And by prototyping, I just mean, see if you can do this idea in a small way uh, that's repeatable and see if you can succeed at it before you start blowing up your performance engine, before you start putting big money into it. Can you prototype this in a smaller? So an example would be like at one of our campuses says, hey, we have our membership class, but we want to try instead of having a membership class at the church building on Sundays, right after church on Sunday mornings, we want to try to have groups in homes on Sunday nights. We think we'll get a better turnout and a better experience for new members doing it dinner and doing it at home. Well, instead of having a big discussion and then saying, okay, across 14 campuses, we're going to go to all dinners at home. We'll say, Todd, since that was your idea at Sherbrooke, why don't you prototype it? Why don't you guys go through three or four months, move to the dinner at home? All the other campuses are going to keep doing the way we've always done it. And then we'll learn from what you learn. And you may come back in four months and go, ah, it's 50-50. It's about the same thing. Okay, well, I don't want to change everything for no improvement. Mm -hmm. Or you may go, "Uh, it's worse. Okay, uh, then we definitely don't want to. Or you may go, guys, we had 50% better attendance and 50% better retention as a result. Man, we never want to go back to doing that. Okay, well, then maybe we were on to something. So in your own sphere, I'd encourage you to uh, prototype. That's good. Hey, listen, thanks so much to our listeners for listening today. We hope you've heard something that helps you as you lead in your family, your church, your business, your organization, wherever you have influence. And also, uh, we'd love to see you here in South Florida on February the 10th. We're having a Church for the Rest of Us conference one day. We are preparing right now. Mm -hmm. And you can register today at churchfortherestofus.com. Church for the rest of us. That's spelled Church for the Rest of Us.com. Check it out. And I'd love for you to register and be here with us. Bring your team. Bring your spouse, bring key lay leaders. It's going to be an awesome day. We'll be back next week talking about the importance of being collaborators. I'm Jimmy Scroggins. I've been here with Leslie Bennett, Todd Thomas, and Seth Carter. Church for the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want to hear what you're doing so that we can all learn from each other. We're in this together. We are church for the rest of us. Until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins, staying flexible, adaptable, and agile, all for the sake of the gospel.